The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We carry on through our day as if everything is just fine. But for many of us, it's merely a mask covering up all the emotion simmering just under the surface. Welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with Shamin Sadiq. In this program, you'll hear from others who face the same adversities in life as the rest of us. But these individuals have redirected their energies to creating extraordinary ideas and concepts. Find out what they are and what's behind the motive. Now, here is your host, Shamin Sadiq. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq, and you're listening to us today on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's so nice to be back with you. I've been thinking a lot about what we talked about last week. If you were listening in, you'll know that we were talking about what it is to take the time to be touched. And I invited you to engage in some experiments over the week. Now, if you're thinking, oh, she's got a bit of a racy topic, um, you'll remember as well that I was talking about what it is to be touched by another human being's kindness or thoughtfulness, and also to take the time to see another person, really see them and acknowledge them as well. And I invited you to do two experiments, one to slow down, well, maybe the biggest one is to slow down. But part A was to allow yourself to be touched, to to connect with another human being and, and let their goodness or their light or their heart touch yours. And the second was to um, touch someone else and to really look at them and, and um, acknowledge something wonderful about them. So I'm curious about how the experiments have gone. And I've certainly noticed that in myself, my invitation to slow down is one that I've really taken up. Um, I need a bit more time to let you know about the the being touched and touched. I don't have uh, any immediate stories that come to mind, but what I know is that slowing down was a profound invitation. And I want to begin our time together in the way that we have been in recent weeks by actually slowing down together and just taking some time to allow ourselves to be silent, um, quiet, to ground ourselves, to let go of all the details and all the rushing around and worrying about things that we all do, and just to spend a few minutes together breathing, noticing our breath, noticing ourselves, and just really dropping into ourselves for a few minutes. So I invite you to uncross your legs, let your feet Um, rest flat on the floor. If you can take off your shoes and really let your feet come into contact with the floor, that would be even better. And if you're at work and that's not possible, then, then just do it with your shoes on. It's fine. Put your hands palm facing down in your lap and closing your eyes if you feel comfortable with that. And just bringing your awareness now to your breath and just noticing how it is to sit 
in a dignified and upright fashion without being too stiff or hard about it. And just breathing your regular breath, not trying to do anything differently. Just breathing in through your nose and out through your nose or your mouth, whatever is more comfortable for you. I don't want to put too many rules around this. And so continue to just notice your breath. Notice it as it enters your body through your nose. And notice how it feels as you exhale. And as you sink into these few minutes of quiet, know that you are giving yourself a gift. A wonderful gift that only you can give yourself. It's not up to anybody else whether you choose to find a few minutes to be silent, to be quiet. We often believe that we can't take this time, that we don't somehow deserve it, or that others won't value it. And yet what I'm learning is it's one of the most valuable things we can do. And so just smile gently at yourself as you acknowledge, I'm giving myself a gift. And just breathe that in for a moment. I'm giving myself a gift. And perhaps as you exhale, you might say, I deserve this gift. So try that. Breathing in, I'm giving myself a gift. And exhaling, I deserve this gift. And just do that a couple more times on your own pace, in your own way. Breathing in and exhaling. And just noticing whether it's easy to maintain your attention here on your breath or whether it's hard. Whatever it is is fine. If you notice that your mind is wandering off onto other topics, just smile gently at yourself and bring yourself back to noticing your breath. Breathing in, I'm giving myself a gift. And breathing out, I deserve this gift. Good. And as you continue to sit and breathe and notice your breath, I want to read something to you. It's a a piece by Margaret Wheatley, and it's called Turning to One Another. And for me, I'm using it as a bridge today, a bridge from what we were talking about last week, about allowing yourself to be touched, and what we'll be talking about today, which is around noticing your noticing. So let's hear from Margaret Margaret Wheatley now turning to one another. And she says, There is no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Ask, what's possible? Not, what's wrong? Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the difference you hear. Expect to be surprised. 
treasure curiosity more than certainty. Invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. Rely on human goodness. Stay together. That's Turning to One Another by Margaret Wheatley. And so as we bring this brief moment of reflection and sitting still and being quiet with ourselves to a close, I hope you'll be inspired by Margaret Wheatley's words. So wiggling your fingers and toes, stretching and moving your body in whatever um, way you can to just come back to this present moment to yourself as you're seated listening to this show and gently open your eyes when you feel ready. Good. And thank you for giving yourself that gift. It's not easy to find some time, to carve out some time for yourself. I know this because I struggle with it daily myself. So I thank you on behalf of yourselves for taking the time and making yourself a priority. So the topic today is noticing your noticing. Now what does that mean, noticing your noticing? It means paying attention, it means self-awareness, and it is about noticing what's capturing your attention, noticing what catches your eye, what um, perks up your ears, what makes you feel joy, what um, strikes you in your heart, what elicits fear, just noticing what you notice. If we all began to pay more attention to our noticings, I think things would be easier, different, perhaps better, and we'd find ourselves navigating with a bit more ease and grace. So let me talk a little bit more about this noticing your noticing. What I noticed, actually, while I was reading the piece by Margaret Wheatley to you, is that she speaks to some things that are very central in terms of my own purpose. So she says that um, we should acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. That's a big piece for me. I have, I'm noticing (laughs) that in my past, I have uh, sometimes forgotten to acknowledge that other people have something to offer. I have often in my life thought that I'm very smart, I'm the smartest one, I uh, know everything and I don't need anything from anyone else. If you know me from recent times, you'll say, what are you talking about? I've never seen you like that. But trust me, I have been like that and I can be like that from time to time. So that really struck me as I was reading the piece to you. The other thing that she said is that creative solutions come from new connections Again, thinking about this as a bridge from uh, this, this human connection that gets cultivated when we allow ourselves to be touched by another to this um, self-awareness practice of noticing your noticing is that creative solutions come from the collaboration and consolidation and alignment of many different energies together. 
And so I often talk with my leadership team clients about this this way. You can create much more together than any one of you could create on your own. Another big piece for me. And the biggest noticing that I noticed while I was reading this to you is that she says, remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. I've been thinking a lot about the show, Stories from the Heart of Leadership, and I've been working on refreshing some of the elements of it, the show description, uh, some of the things that you hear uh, in between the segments of the show. So listen for new elements coming out soon. The show remains as it is, but I just think it's important to allow it to continue to evolve. And as I was working on articulating this evolution of the show, what I realized is that that is really central to the hope and the gift that this show is intended to offer. It is that when we know our stories, when we know each other's stories, then there's less and less to fear and there's less and less to defend against. It's so easy to project onto another person that they must have it all together, that they must be perfect, that they probably don't have any problems, that they don't struggle with money or finances. Um, It's so easy to look at the facade of someone and think, oh, they must not have any of these worries that I have. And then to take that feeling and say, wow, I... um, really think I'm, I'm less than, I think I'm the only one, I feel bad about feeling what I'm feeling because obviously she and he and they don't have the same experience. Well, that's the whole point here. Everyone's walking around with some kind of experience of this. Everyone feels fear. Everyone has yearning. Everyone wonders if they're settling, if they're settling for less than what they could have in their job, in their relationships. They look at others and think, ah, they've got it so great. They have no idea what it's like to be me. But yet, what I'm learning is they do. They do. I have coached over 350 clients in the last 10 years. Uh, Some of them are group clients, team clients. So if you start adding that up, I've probably coached more than 800 people. And what I have noticed is that every single person has their own version of this concern running under the surface. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I lovable enough? Am I deserving enough? And they um, compare themselves to others and find themselves falling short. And what I'm here to remind you of is that everyone has these feelings. And if, as Margaret Wheatley says, we can know each other's stories, then there's less to fear from others and there's less to defend against. There'd be less comparing. There'd be less fighting. (laughs) I mean, the, the benefits of coming into connection with each other in this deeper place is are the benefits are exponential and unlimited. And so that really resonated with me. Real listening always brings people closer together. What would it be like to listen to someone else's story? But in order to do that, you have to have some level of self-awareness. You have to be able to suspend your own thoughts and preparation for what you're going to say next and really just be present with that person. So self-awareness is um, a I believe it's the most important leadership trait for today and in the future for leaders. And the first step of it is to notice what you notice. And so we're 
going to go to a break in a few moments, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about how do we do this? How do you notice you're noticing? What does it look like when that's happening and how do I begin to cultivate a practice of this? Um, If it's not something that you are familiar with or have a lot of experience with, it sounds sort of strange, noticing my noticing, but it really is an important leadership skill, quality, and something to build capacity in that I think is going to go the distance between where we've come from, where we are, and where we're headed. So let's take a break, and when we come back, more about noticing your noticing. I'm Shamin Sadik. This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership, and we'll be right back. Domestic violence and abuse are experienced by both men and women in everyday life. If you have experienced abuse, know that you're not alone on your journey. Listen for Abuse Survival Stories presents I Reclaim My Voice with co-hosts Reese Zigazaga and Denise Watkiss. We'll speak with survivors who have emerged safe and victorious and who are passionate about helping others reclaim their voices. Tune in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empower. You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at anjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I Leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. This is Shamin Sadik, your host, and today we're talking about noticing your noticing. So it's kind of funny, we're talking about noticing your noticing, but how do you do it? How do you notice your noticing? Well, like everything else I talk about with you, I came up with a little framework before the show began, and I thought I'd float it here with you, and and let's see if it works for us. The first step in noticing your noticing is quieting your mind. I mean, there is so much chatter that goes on in our heads all the time, and to begin to learn to quiet that chatter, just turn the volume down on it a little, if you can, is the first step. It's hard to notice when your thoughts are racing and your internal dialogue is nonstop. Have you ever been with a curious little uh, child, a young child, who just asks questions all day long? And, you know, if you have children like this, and God love these children, I love my children and all children, but sometimes it gets a little bit exhausting. You know, when you're in the car and you're driving and they don't stop talking and they ask a question about everything and it's like one sentence to the next, one thought to the next. That's like what goes on inside of our heads. And if it's exhausting to be present with someone who 
is like that, um, then by translation, it's exhausting when that is what's going on in your head all the time. So, hey, if you're like that and you hear or see yourself in what I'm describing, know that um, I'm like that too. My mind is going a mile a minute most of the time as well. But I've been blessed to learn a little bit about how to quiet my mind. And uh, so some of the ways in which you can do this are just like we did at the beginning of this show. We spent a few minutes just quietly sitting, noticing our breath. That's one way to quiet your mind. Some people call that meditation. Other people call that mindfulness. I don't really care what label you put on it, but it is one technique that you can use to quiet your mind. Now, it's a technique at first because it's probably new and maybe something you haven't done before. Uh, Then it's more of a technique. It's like a tool that you put on top of yourself and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to use this technique. I'm going to do what Shamin said and sit quietly and notice my breath for, what, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes every day. Um, That's a technique. What happens with these techniques, with many techniques, is the more we put them into service by using them, the more they become a way of being. So the beginning of it is I'm going to sit and reflect or pay attention to my breath or meditate every day for X number of minutes. And that's great. Over time, what happens is you begin to pay attention to your breath, pay attention to that inner dialogue, to just pay attention that becomes more innate. It becomes something that you do more often, not because it's a technique and you have to do it every day, but it becomes a way of being, a way of leading, and a way of showing up. So use it as a technique at first to get the discipline of it, and then watch over time as it begins to actually make its way into how you be, not just what you do. Here's an example in a business context. Somebody comes into your office. You're, you're a leader in an organization and somebody comes in um, very upset about something that's just happened. You can get, get enrolled in their upset and start to engage with them uh, either to defend against the thing that they're upset about or to commiserate with them about what they're upset about or to try and solve the problem that they've brought to your attention in that moment. And I can guarantee you that all three of those paths don't lead to the best outcome. They lead to you getting upset as well, uh, either because you're commiserating or you're defending, or you going into problem-solving mode and possibly taking yourself off course. Maybe there was something else that was your intention for today, and now you've been taken completely off course. And anyone who's ever been in a leadership role knows, or anyone who's ever worked in any organization knows, you could lose a day or more of your time trying to solve a problem like that. So the practice of quieting your mind, um, how it can serve is that you can listen to the person's issue, you can uh, be present and hear everything that they say, but you don't have to do anything about it immediately. That's what quieting your mind has to offer, that you could actually sit in the presence of their upset and their upheaval and all the energy that swirls around with that. Perhaps they're even accusing you of something that you did as well uh, as part of what's upset them. But you can sit there in the presence of all of that and say, I hear what you're saying and I need uh, a few minutes to just sit with this and then I'll get back to you. Um, That's one way in which this can serve. 
And, and believe me, whenever I have approached something like that in that way, I found it enormously more helpful than to just try and jump into action right away. I do it with my kids as well. Sometimes, this is what a timeout is for, by the way. Sometimes I send them away for a few minutes like, you know what? I'm really upset right now because of this, this, and this. I, I would like you to just uh, just go to your room for a few minutes while I think about what I'm going to do next. So that's what it looks like in practice or what it can look like in practice. And then you can sit quietly and sort of let the pieces of what has just happened settle a little, a little bit before you jump into action. So quieting your mind, the first part of noticing your noticing. The second thing is, and it kind of goes with quieting your mind, is slow down. So this thing about giving yourself a bit of space is so that you can slow down the 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 time between the feeling that gets evoked in you when the person comes in all upset and your need to move into action. It's like extending that period of time, stretching it out a little bit by slowing down gives you a bit of a chance to sort of get your feet under you again to sort of shake off the impact of uh, the upset of the whole situation or the surprise or maybe you were caught off guard and just to kind of ground yourself. But you need a little bit of space in between feeling what you feel when you receive their energy or their message or both and jumping into action. So slow down. Now, this is like the... I I may be preaching to the choir because I know many of you are in favor of slowing down, but I also smile and say, I'm not teaching you something that I don't practice. I have to practice this every day. I get caught up in things like you wouldn't believe and can get taken off track. I've lost entire days, you know, trying to deal with something that came in in an email that I could have left until tomorrow and and it would have been easier to answer it tomorrow because I would have had a more elegant, simple answer for it once I'd sat on it for a while. So I struggle with this too. Just want you to know you're not the only one if you're struggling with it. And while we're on the topic of slowing down, the other thing is not everything needs to be dealt with immediately. So part of this noticing you're noticing is beginning to ask yourself, is this something I need to do something about right away? So lots of people will tell you about how they manage their inboxes, for example. They'll say, I only check my emails uh, at these two times in the day. and um, Or others I know have a practice of saving their emails till the end of the day and then after dinner, you know, answering all their emails so that they can start fresh the next morning. So there are many different ways, many different structures to put on top that will help you manage all the stuff that's coming at you. But I think as well that it's important to discern what needs my attention right away, what can wait till tomorrow, what can I pass over to someone else. And that leads me to the third piece of this little mini framework that's evolving around noticing your noticing is get help. You can't do everything yourself. So begin to tap into the support that you have around you. And if you don't have enough support around you, start building it. Now, I know I'm, I'm saying this as if it's a, just a, an easy kind of foregone conclusion. There came a time uh, about five or six years ago, maybe a little longer than that now, 
when I realized that my business was growing very, very rapidly and I was going to be quickly overtaken by all the administrative requirements of my business to the point where I'd be spending all my time booking travel and I wouldn't have enough time to actually deliver on my coaching. So I was wise enough to see that at that moment and to get help. I I hired an assistant and we began to work together. Uh, The same thing happened to me uh, a few months ago. I began to see that I needed more structure in my business to be able to handle the growth that is um, imminent. And so I I hired some more um, help, some more people to help me, as well as engaged some team members to help me with the delivery of my work. So so part of noticing what you're noticing is discerning what needs to be done now, what can be left till later, and what can I give to somebody else to do? What is the way in which I, my time is best spent? All of this has to do with self-awareness, and all of this is how you begin to notice your noticing. I'm noticing something about me. I've been... Uh, blessed to have conversations with my own coach uh, that have helped to bring something to the surface that I've been working on, or I haven't been working on for that long. I think it's been a feature of my way of operating and my way of leading, but I'm able to pay a little bit more attention to it recently because she's helped me to bring it to my awareness, into my into my attention so that I can actually take a look at it. And that is my need, my compulsive need to overcompensate. So I am a, this is so funny, I'm a fixer, I'm an overcompensator, I am the kind of person who... You know, if I see something that looks like it's going off the rails, I'll jump right in and propose a solution that usually involves me doing something uh, before anybody's even asked me to help. That's how much of an overcompensator I am. And it comes from uh, a a long lifetime of habit. Uh, It comes probably from family situations and experiences that I had when I was young. And, hey, I'm really good at doing stuff. I'm very capable I'm very competent, and I can pretty much do anything that I need to do. Dig up the garden in the back and plant new flowers? Done. Uh, uh, Prune a tree? Good. I can do it. Fix the skylight? Okay, I can't do it from the outside of the house, but on the inside, I've climbed up on the ladder and fixed it. Um, I don't really need a lot of help or support from anybody else. I'm, I'm pretty good. So the gift in my overcompensation is I know how to do things. But the The deficit or the downfall of this gift of being capable is that I often jump in to save the day or help others without regard for what it will cost me. And so in the spirit of noticing your noticing, I'm sharing with you that that's something I've been noticing is that I do that. And so I've begun a practice of reminding myself not to do it. Now, the impact that it's going to have on those around me who are accustomed to me helping them out, solving their problems before they even know they have a problem, and basically making myself uh, fully available to um, deal with everything bad that could happen to them, is that they're going to feel a bit let down, neglected, um, discarded. And if you're any of those people in those circles in my life and you're listening to this, what I want you to know is it's temporary. It's, it's temporary because noticing your noticing 
quieting your mind, slowing down, discerning what you can do yourself, what you can do later, and what you can give away to someone else to do, um, is, is then followed by a practice of what are the changes I want to make? What changes do I need to make that are going to make my life easier and that are going to actually make others' lives easier too? And then we have to practice. And the practice is really about keeping the new behavior in front, right in front of my face so I cannot forget. So one of the things that I've done in the last couple of days is I've written on a sticky note in my office over compensation and just kept it in front of me so that when I make a suggestion to help someone, I will see that hopefully before I make the suggestion. That's, that's the first part of noticing what you're noticing and the practice of changing your habit is to catch yourself either in the moment when the old behavior is in play or after the moment. So sometimes I'll make an offer to help and then I'll realize afterwards, oh boy, that was me overcompensating again. So, you, so I will notice afterwards. Or even better is to notice beforehand and to be able to say, ah, I have this intuitive need or reflexive need to say yes or jump in or offer my help. Let me pause. Let me slow down. Let me quiet my mind. Let me take a moment and let me ask myself, is this something I want to do? If it is, great. Go at it. Um, Is it something I feel I must do? then maybe I need to think about it a little bit longer. Is it something that somebody else could do? Now, this is a hard one for overcompensators because we often believe that we can do things best. So uh, I have to ask myself some other questions now too. By me doing this for that person, how am I serving them? Am I training them to not be able to do things for themselves? Am I creating a dependence in them on me for whatever it is, and what would I like for them? Well, ultimately what I'd like is for others to be able to feel empowered, to be empowered, to live their lives, to be capable, to be able to take care of themselves. And so um, if that's what I want, then doing it for them is maybe not going to be the best thing to do. So just an example with the kids. You know, if I I want them to, to learn to be adults who can navigate daily life, it would serve me to teach them how to cook. If I keep cooking for them out of feeling of guilt or this is my job and moms are supposed to cook, then um, they're never going to learn how to cook. So I have to ask myself, hey, is this a good day for me to invite them to make dinner instead of me? Yeah. So it's going to inconvenience them. They're going to be a little bit surprised. They'll be a bit shocked. Why is she asking us? But ultimately, they will learn something that is an important life skill that will empower them to live their lives well. So it's a small example, but one that might resonate with any of you who have kids. Well, we've been talking a lot this segment about noticing your noticing and how to do it. When we come back, let's talk about applications, where this might be useful, where it might not, and what might be good about it for you. Let's take a break and I'll see you on the other side. This is Shamin Sadiq. Where can you find a forum to help you make the best decisions in your everyday life? 
Listen for An Hour of Empowerment with Charles Haywood Ellis III. Each week, the program will cover a wide variety of topics you've asked about, from self-improvement to finances and matters as varied as education and urban violence. An Hour of Empowerment can be heard live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be sure to stop by every week. Are you good at leading yourself? In order to be more effective leaders in business, as managers, or in any organization, you've got to start by being good at self-leadership. On Leadership Takeoff, host Mo Glenner and his guests bring you the tools to help you lead yourself and your team to truly become the pilot in command. You need to tune in to Leadership Takeoff, live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Because the sky is not the limit. It's only the beginning. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Feel like sometimes you just don't know where to start with your health and fitness routine? Every week, you can hear from people who have been where you feel that you are right now and find out how they move forward and are living their best lives ever. It's called Lifestyle 360, and your host is Nicole Monier. Get inspired to take control of your health and your life. Tune into Lifestyle 360 every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to stories from the heart of leadership if you have a question or comment or just want to find out more about our program please send shamine an email her email address is shamine at anjali leadership.com that's s-h-a-h-m-e-e-n at a-n-j-a-l-i leadership.com now back to stories from the heart of leadership Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. This is Shamin Sadik, and we're talking today about noticing your noticing. Before we jump into our final bit of time together, I wanted to remind you about some upcoming events that you might be interested in. If you are an executive coach, uh, HR professional, and or organizational development person, or maybe you work in learning and development, and you want to engage in learning about a 360 degree assessment that you can use with your clients most powerfully, check out the leadershipcircle.com. I'm very honored to be faculty and a master facilitator with the Leadership Circle and I'm going to be teaching a certification in this suite of assessments in three areas in 2015. Uh, one coming up soon, June 10th to 12th in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'll be returning to that area September 9th to 11th, and then I'll be teaching in Denver September 30th to October 2nd. So those are the three certifications in North America that I am teaching that are coming up, but there are other cities as well where you can go and get certified, and I have extraordinary colleagues who can 
teach you there. So go to theleadershipcircle.com, check out the dates, uh, read more about it, and we'll see you there if it resonates with you. As well, while we're on the topic of my colleagues, I want to acknowledge Jim Anderson and Dan Holden, who have been wonderful supports and sponsors of Stories from the Heart of Leadership from the very beginning. Thanks to both of you for your love and support, and I look forward to being with you next time we're together. So that's that's the, the little public service announcements for you. Now let's talk again about noticing your noticing. Ah. What to say about this? At the end of March, I was in a four-day meditation and creative writing retreat at the University of Toronto. Uh, It was one of those situations where, again, in the spirit of noticing, somebody on Facebook said, oh, we're trying to get this course off the ground and it's open to anybody. You don't have to be a university student to take it. Anybody interested, let me know. I took a look at what the description of the course was, and the title was Meditation and Writing, Creative Writing. I think that's what it was called. Anyway, the the names the, the title caught me right away, caught my attention, and I noticed, notice that I'm talking about what I noticed, <laughs> I noticed that in my heart there was sort of a leaping forward that I could feel, sort of a an energy towards this this title, and Um, When I have that feeling, I know I should probably say yes. So I read further, read the description of the course, realized that the dates that they were planning were dates that I could go, I could attend. And so I said yes. I wrote back immediately and I said, I'm in. And she was like, the person who wrote it was said, really? And I said, yeah, I'm in. Just send me the information. I'm coming. So while I was there... We spent a lot of time, as you would imagine from the title, meditating and writing. Um, Something I haven't perhaps shared on the show is that I'm also a writer. I write write right now a blog that I publish periodically. I have to say I don't write it as frequently these days because I think I'm speaking my blog on the show instead. So I I say all that I want to say on the radio. But I do write a blog from time to time. And actually, if you'd like to receive that blog, receive the newsletter that comes with it, you can go to www.anjaliedership.com. That's my website, A-N-J-A-L-I, leadership.com. And join, join the newsletter, sign up for the newsletter. So you'll receive the blog, but it also comes with a list of upcoming events and things that you might be interested in. So I write a blog from time to time about once a month, sometimes less frequently. And I also write poetry. I've spoken some of it here on the show with you. And I also write prose. I write um, reflective sort of pieces. And I know that one day this is all going to come together in some kind of a book or some kind of an offering that I will um, present to all of you and you can avail yourselves of when when it's ready. And I thought that this writing retreat would be a good chance for me to just pause from the busyness of everyday life. So notice how this framework of noticing your noticing is is in play in this story. Quiet mind, slow down, um, get help. So quiet my mind enough to see that, oh, I notice that when I read about this course, I feel like I want to go. Um, slow down the act of taking four days to go and do a course 
that is something that is completely outside of what I normally do um, was awesome. And then get help. So there was a teacher and she was a meditation teacher as well as a writing teacher. And that was fantastic because she blended together so many things that matter to me, that resonate with me, and that I have found useful in my own life, and then put it into the context of her craft, which is writing. So there was a day where we we meditated, um, and she asked us some questions as we were sitting in contemplation. She asked us about fear, uh, or she asked us about obstacles, and she asked us about what obstacle we were kind of uh, noticing and what we'd like to work on. And then she asked us to sit quietly for about 15 or 20 minutes and write. And I thought I would share with you what I wrote. Um, I think I'm sharing this because I'm giving you an example of my model of noticing your noticing in action. But I'm sure that as I read it, they'll another Um, element of it will come to mind about why it felt important to share it with you. So the obstacle that I was thinking about when she asked us was fear and defendedness. And if you've been following my story of the last few weeks, you'll know that my grandmother passed away in mid-April. This was at the end of March that I was in this class and I was very much thinking about my grandma who was in the hospital and um, we knew that she was in her final weeks. So That's the context. So this is what I wrote. I was asking myself, what obstacle would I like to work with? There were so many to choose from. Images floated up in my mind. The daughter of the man in my life, the man in my life, my older son, my ex-husband. I asked myself, what is the obstacle in me that these beautiful souls represent? The response floated up. Defense. What? Defendedness. My own defendedness. The thing that had me be hard when I was talking to my brother yesterday. The thing that has had me hold back when the man in my life is so tender with me. The thing that makes me pull into myself when his daughter asks if we can play. Why? I asked myself. Why do I need to do this? What am I so afraid of? An image of my grandmother floated up looking so frail, so thin, so tired. Ah, of course, I'm afraid of loss. That searing anguish in the heart, in the heart, when it's too late to say what I really wanted to say, when it's too late to connect at the deepest level, when it's too late to touch and be touched in our hearts, when the words I love you won't be heard, at least not in this dimension. That's what I'm afraid of. How ironic that I... The queen of deeper conversations, the one who masterfully and magnificently facilitates the uncovering of hearts and souls, is struggling with this very thing in my own life. Yet here it is. My deepest fear laid out like an open magazine right in front of me. Afraid of the pain of loss. So, what to do? Slam the door shut on love? Keep connection at bay like a startled dog? Turn and walk away or simply reject them with an indifferent silence? Like those mean girls in high school, or the nasty women at that school in the beaches long ago, should I stare right through these beautiful beings as if they don't exist? Take their love and tear it into a hundred little pieces of confetti and then toss them into the wind? I have always stood for connection. How can this be okay then? How is this serving me? 
How does it serve my purpose to disconnect or defend against their love? I've been passive and pleasing before, and that has led me into exhaustion. Yet my capableness, independence, and insistence on doing it myself tires me too. What is the middle way forward on this? Trust. Trust. I am enough. There is enough. They are enough. I don't have to take care of them, but I don't have to lead them out in the cold either. And so as I finish sharing that with you, I know why I've shared it. I now know why I've shared it with you. Because the process of making these changes, once you notice what you notice, and you notice that something you're doing is not serving you, can feel like you're going to the whole other extreme. I am enough, there is enough, they are enough. I don't have to take care of them, but I don't have to leave them out in the cold either. It can feel like if I change my ways, now that I've noticed that what I'm doing isn't working so well, I might have to go to the very opposite extreme. And that would be really hard because if I care a lot about people and now I stop doing things to help them, um, it's hard for me because it makes me feel like I must not care. And maybe that's how they'll feel too in the short term because they're used to me kind of taking care of it all for them. But I actually think when I was writing this at the end of March that it was a preview of what I was heading into with bringing this overcompensation tendency to the surface. And now I can see that there is something in the middle, but it takes a little bit of a journey to get there. So if there was a final piece in my template or framework for noticing your noticing, it would be to remember that it takes time. That once you've noticed what you notice and you make a decision that something should be different, that something you would like something to be different because it would serve you and others better, that it takes a little bit of time to get there. So don't expect it to happen overnight. Give yourself some time and some runway to let things play out. So it might be that for a while I say no to everything. Because if my, if my compulsion is to say yes and I'm always jumping in to help, the, the solution or the remedy might be to do the opposite. So maybe that's what I have to do for a while. Maybe I have to say no to things for a little while and just say no to everything. Get, everything gets a blanket no and then I'll take some time and reconsider whether I want to do something. That might be a step along the way. It doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean that I have to say no forever. It is really just a, a, a bus stop along the route <laughs> to um, more ease, more grace, um, more peace. And so it's important for the others in our lives to be aware of this too. So perhaps part of your noticing would be, uh, if I just stop cold turkey and don't do anything for anyone else anymore, um, perhaps I should explain to them what's going on. That might be helpful because they might be wondering, does she not care? Does she not love me anymore? Um, does she have no regard for me? How can she be so selfish? And so you might need to say, I'm making some changes and it might be a little rocky in the interim. But what I want you to know is that I still love you and I still care about you and I absolutely am committed to whatever it is we've said we're creating here together. This could be at work, this could be at home. Okay, if it's at work, maybe you're not going to tell them you love them, but maybe you'll tell them I have so much respect for you and our relationship and what we're up to here together. Find different ways to talk about this, but let them know that you still care, but that you're making some changes. 
and that you're, you're going to not be perfect at those changes as you make them. And then practice. Practice. Just keep it up. <laughs> Pay attention. Uh, slow yourself down. Discern what is yours and what is not. Practice the new behavior. Find a way to catch yourself in the act, after the act, and then maybe even before the act, and say, wait a second, what do I really want here? How is it that I really want this to go? Because sometimes I might want to help. Sometimes I might want to jump in and, and be there for someone and do something kind for them that is at my own expense. But at least be cognizant and aware of what the costs are, and then ask yourself if you're willing. Don't reflexively fall into your own patterns. That's the practice here, that noticing you're noticing can lead you into. If this has been helpful to you, I'd love to know what resonated, what different, what didn't, what experiments you've conducted with this after our conversation today. Send me an email. My email address is shamin, S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at anjaliLeadership.com. That's A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. And tell me what you're noticing. <laughs> Tell me what you notice. Tell me what you are finding as you practice and play and experiment with what we've talked about here today. I love hearing from you about how the show is resonating, uh, what you're learning, what you're taking away, and also what you want. What else would you like to hear about from me on future shows? So send me an email about that too if something comes to mind. But for now, I'll leave you with this Uh, noticing you're noticing is a piece of this larger leadership quality that I'm calling self-awareness that is crucial. It's crucial for us today and it's crucial for us into the future. So take what you thought was useful today, put it into practice, let me know how it goes and take good care. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today for Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Shamin Sadiq will be back next Monday with another extraordinary guest at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you'll come back as well. Have a terrific week. And remember, you are not alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.